Bad news for my Ottawa Senators, a long-term injury. Good news for Brett's Boston Bruins, they have Mike DiPietro on their team now. And uh, for the Flyers, Sabres, and Blackhawks, at the moment, they are relevant. Will that continue? Episode 340 of the Lace My Podcast starts right now. And now, it's time. To lace them up, here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tubov. I'll start with the depressing news. Josh Norris out potentially the rest of the season. We don't know, but uh, the more optimistic side is three to five months shoulder injury. Yeah, even if you, like, it's funny that you say optimistically, like three to five months is still a very, very long time. So It's, it's still like, bleak, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is this is definitely a um, bad news for you guys for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, this is uh, yeah, it's it's bleak. Um, but on the other hand, Shane Pinto, who's basically the the replacement for Josh Norris, he um, he's low key been pretty good. Seven points in eight games. Um, I don't six goals. I should six mention goals six too. goals. Yeah, and then. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, four goals in the last five games and one assist in those, according to Hockey yeah, Reference. Yeah, shooting so. percentage, I think, uh, if, I'm, if I'm correct, is over 30%, which yeah. is totally not sustainable, but holy hell. Right, right, right. But, I mean, I don't know. I guess it, it's interesting, too, because, like, I had, I had uh, you know, I've heard of Shane Pinto before. I think he was, like, a second-round pick in 2019. Um one of the last picks in 2019 at that um and yeah every now and then like you know you heard his name you're like oh he's okay and then um then all of a sudden yeah then you see like oh i guess he's he's been pretty good um i i guess that's like a good cool thing about like the fact about your sense is that because they've had so many prospects and they've been bad for so long but they have a decent prospect pool that it's like, okay, Josh Norris, you lose him, but then you get a guy like Shane Pinto, and yes, I know he could regress to the mean eventually, but um, yeah, at the moment, it's working out for, for the Senators right now. Um, yeah, I, the other thing, though, is like you mentioned that he's out three to five months. Um, so five months from now is basically April. Um, so you could... The Senators could put, well, I, I think they did put him on LTIR um, and, like, kind of do what the Lightning did, basically, or do what the Blackhawks did back in the day um, and, like, you know, get, like, just get some free agents, free agents and move um, and then maybe, like, get Josh Norris back in the playoffs and you're just, like, a really strong team like that and it's... It's technically cap. It's oh, it's not. It's technically not against the rules, but like because the Lightning did it, they weren't penalized for it. The Blackhawks did it. Yeah, they're it, not penalized shady, for it. But it's not illegal, right? Like, it's yeah. not like you can't do it. I mean, you can. Yeah, you the, can get judged for it, but you can. The only and, and also, it, it should be mentioned if the Sens do that, 
uh, they'll probably go for guys in contract years right. because yeah, they would have to the future contracts they're gonna have to dish out. They can't afford to get a guy with term with a high cap. The only thing is, is that like it works for it worked for the Blackhawks back in the day because like they were in the playoffs. Um, the Lightning it worked for the Lightning because they could get by without Kucherov because they have insane mm-hmm. amount of depth. For Ottawa, as as much they are an improved team this year, it's not a guarantee that they're going to make the playoffs this year without um, Josh Norris. So that's just something that you have to consider as well. Um, and, um, yeah, even if they do have a healthy Josh Norris, it's not a guarantee they would make the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, I guess there is that option there. And it, you also, like, think back to last year when – Vegas got Jack, uh, Jack Eichel, and I would assume they were thinking of a similar type of situation where they would eventually, uh, once they made the playoffs, they could uh, get like Patches, Stone, and Eichel all on the same team and all that stuff, but then they just had too many injuries and things like that. So there's other things that, like, you know, it's, sometimes it could just fall flat on your face. And we're also talking about a hypothetical situation that hasn't even happened yet. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's it's definitely a, a blow for the Senators. Of course, this is also a team that doesn't have Cam Talbot to start the year as well. So it's like they're already um, just injury prone for the entire season. But I don't know. I guess the Senators are still doing well. Um, it's just, um, yeah, they have to... Uh, they just have one more hurdle they have to climb this year. Yeah, I mean, well, the good news is they're 4-4, four and four, which is yeah. a lot better than what they started in previous seasons. So right. the bad news is the Atlantic Division makes no sense, and they're dead last out of eight teams because, as we're going to talk about, there are some surprises, including Montreal, who um, has come out of the gate stronger than I thought they would. Um, of course, you have the Detroit Red Wings in the mix as well. I expected them to be a playoff team, and... While they've had uh, their moments of weakness, uh, for the most part, uh, their record is looking promising uh, as well. And, of course, uh, you had Buffalo get off to a hot start last year. They're off to a little bit of a hot start this year as well, although Eric Conry's been mostly cooling other teams when he's played. Uh, But uh, that's a topic of conversation we'll get to later. Um, The thing about the Ottawa Senators is, you're right, Brett. Even if they have Josh Norris, and I said in my season previews, I'm not sure if this team is a playoff team. And you mentioned the Cam Talbot injury. The good news is he was on the Florida trip. He didn't play against the Panthers on Saturday. He won't play against Tampa on Tuesday. But the fact that he's traveling with the team is a good sign. It's a promising sign uh, that hopefully he's going to be back soon. And from what I hear, he's making progress. So that's great. Artem Zub is also out one to two weeks. So that sucks for their blue line. And... Um, you know, uh, replacing him for the time being, even if you give Eric Brandstrom more ice time, even if you make a few call-ups here and there, um, it's it's still tough to replace what you lose in a guy like Arden Zoo. What when you get, lose a guy like Josh Norris as well, a number one center who has chemistry with Batherson, who has chemistry with Brady Kachuk, and that top line's being such a key fixture and Batherson and uh, Kachuk getting off to hot starts to start the year. That definitely is is a blow to the chemistry. But the way I look at it is now you see, uh, uh, now you get a good chance to see where other people thrive or don't. And the rhetoric around Tim Stutzla is, 
Okay, he's a solid top six forward. Lots of potential. They're paying him a lot of money to shore up on that second line there. But can he be a legitimate number one center someday? Well, guess what? We're about to find out because he's on the top line and he's going to be taking face-offs. So we'll see how that plays itself out. You also have, like I said, Shane Pinto. The other thing is you want to make sure the chemistry is intact because the third line, Tyler Mott and Matthew Joseph, are having pretty good starts to the campaign. So you don't want to disrupt that chemistry if you can help it. But again, if Shane Pinto continues to make good on his opportunities, can you know at some point you try him on the second line and see what happens see what he can do with the break at uh and Giroux and speaking of Claude Giroux people forget he did play center once upon a time the problem is he hasn't been a relied upon surefire number one center uh for a couple of years now because Philly decided to move him to right wing later in his career with the Flyers but it should be noted that Claude Giroux has had several 1,000 plus face-off seasons uh, his highest being 1,881 draws in 2015-16. And if you look at a lot of those 1,000-plus face-off campaigns, his face-off percentage has looked pretty good. Last year between Philly and Florida, he took, a thousand, uh, he took 1,216 draws, and he won 60.3% of those face-offs. He only took 812 the previous year. He won 596 percent of those draws 59 percent the year before that when he took over 1100 face-offs um 57.9 percent the year before that when he took over 1100 face-offs again so he's a reliable face-off man that hasn't been trusted as a number one face-off man because of position changes for whatever reasons um but he has proven that he can handle the workload in the face-off dot and he can get you results there so maybe that's an opportunity that Ottawa looks at. Maybe DJ Smith asks Claude Giroux, hey, do you mind taking face-offs again? And, and we go from there as, but as sense fans. Um, it's definitely a huge blow, but it's not an insurmountable uh, hill to climb for the Ottawa Senators. I think they could still get by it. Um, Derek Broussard is the number two center right now. I don't know how long that's going to stay because five or six years ago it made sense. Five or six years ago, he had the offense, not so much anymore. So maybe he's um, more of a bottom six, reliable, third line, um, line face-off guy. We'll wait and see. Um, but o- overall, um, it, it's not it's not panic mode for the Sens yet, I would say. But uh, I, I, I'm, I'd be lying if I said uh, I wasn't concerned, because I am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see how it plays out. I have uh, Tim Stutzla and Shane Pinto are the top two centers, um, but I don't know. Maybe that's changed. Yeah. But and, and that and that could be something heading into December okay. we see as as the norm because again I don't think Broussard yeah. is capable of holding down that number two spot. I'd be happy to be proven wrong, but in my opinion, I don't think it's going to last. But and again, I'm... if you want to keep that chemis- chemistry intact and keep Claude Drew on the wing then the logical explanation would be to slot Shane Pinto as yeah. a second line, especially I'm, if he needs to I'm pretty line. sure I saw that Pinto is in the second line, but okay. Okay, yeah. But at, in the early stages of dealing without Josh Norris, they were experimenting Derek Broussard as yeah. the number two I, center. Yeah, and he did get a goal in his first game that he played. So. Yeah. It could change, obviously. So that, there's yeah, that too, it could. Of course. It could. It's a very fluid situation. Yeah. And... As for the game against Florida, where they looked god awful, that's that's a team thing. That's not right. the sense mission. Josh Norris, 
that's a absolutely horrid start that absolutely can't happen. So yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't chalk that up on the Josh Norris injury at all. Right. Um, okay. Uh, so we, we do, well, uh, moving on here, we have uh, Phil Kessel. Uh, he's now the new Iron Man guy. Um, it's funny because, like, yes, he has these two cups, and he was um, he was kicked out of um, or not kicked out of. He was uh, kind of uh, shipped out of Boston because uh, he wouldn't play defense like Claude Julian and Zdeno Chara wanted him to. He was uh, considered very lazy in his six years in Toronto, even though uh, that's ridiculous considering he was the best player by far on those Toronto teams. Then he goes to Pittsburgh, proves everyone wrong, um, and then, um, and like, and he, he wins those two cups. He was a big reason why he won those, uh, those, those Pittsburgh teams won those cups. Then he moves to Arizona for a couple of years. Um, and now he's in Vegas, and not only that, but the the game that he broke the Ironman streak, he gets his 400th career goal uh, in that game. So that's pretty cool too. Um, but yeah, it's it's just interesting just from his career standpoint. He's had a very unique career because, like I mentioned, he's like he's known for that guy who doesn't hit, he doesn't block. Um, if if you've ever had him on your on your fantasy team. But what's interesting is watching him play, he does go to the crease a lot. He does like, like he is like, it's not like he avoids contact at all. He's just very like skilled and he can score goals. And uh, that's just what he does. Um, it's just like, uh, and there was also that time, I don't know if you remember this, Steve, you, you must, but uh, there was like a time when during like the all-star game, when they had like a draft where the like I think it was Crosby and Ovechkin had like a draft of like uh, picking the players and they kind of did away with it, but Phil Kessel was the last one uh, picked one of those years and it was kind of like a big deal on Twitter that he was the last one picked. But like ever since then, like I think that's that was when the fans started rooting for Phil Kessel because you're like, oh Phil Kessel's like he's a he's a good player. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting that, like, you wouldn't think a guy who is, who's been described as lazy, who doesn't, like, hit, he doesn't block, like, I guess it makes sense then that he, he doesn't, um, he never gets injured, um, but, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting that he's, like, now he's our new Iron Man, um, and it's just an incredible feat. I think he has a few more games where he's, He's played a thousand games um, consecutively, um, so we'll we'll have to wait for that. But like, yeah, he already broke the record. I also feel bad for Keith Yandel because not only did he retire this year and then gets overshadowed by Chara and Sub- Subban on the same day, but his Ironman streak is now gone too. So um, I wonder how many people when they looked at Keith Yandel are just like, wait, when did he set the record? Right, 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 right. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that's literally like, last year. You yeah, don't remember? No, yeah, exactly. So it's it's um, but yeah, that that was a whole thing too, if you remember, because Yandel was yanked ten games before he was going to be uh, a thousand games consecutive, um, for the Ironman, um. But yeah, it's uh, so I I think Kessel has a few more times where, um, and then he'll be a thousand games 
for that. Um, what was interesting is, and I remember, um, or like the this other podcast that I listened to, um, and this guy's a Leafs fan, a uh, Down Goes Brown. Um, he uh, he had mentioned that like, so at the time of the like the Bruins Toronto trade, there was like a concern that um, as good like Castle put out like thirty six goals in his third year in Boston, and so they all thought that you know in when he when you get him for Toronto. Uh, from Toronto like the concern wasn't necessarily that you give up two first round picks but it was more just the fact of like can he stay healthy uh, just because of like his size and the fact that he doesn't get like you know he doesn't hit or block shots really um, and uh, like uh, down goes, goes Brown was saying it's like yeah almost immediately he injures his shoulder or something and so then you're just wondering like oh god like this is a curse basically that like why did we make that trade and like you know this guy is just going to be an injury um hellscape basically and then um and then that was the next game he was unbelievable or when he recovers he's unbelievable and he's never been injured since and not only that he was an incredible player for Toronto and uh wrongly derided but it's just it's just funny that like Phil Kessel is basically the symbol of the guy who goes in every night um, and plays his game every single night, even though he's like ha- pretty much all of Toronto media called him lazy uh, the entire time he was there. Yeah, well, I mean, he embraced the meme. Yeah. Like, when he won the Stanley Cup, like, he saw a bunch of hot dogs in the cup. Right. And uh, yeah, it, 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 it's kind of full circle because, yeah, of course, the guy people mock for his conditioning is the guy yep. that sets the Ironman streak. Right. And, and people forget that he battled cancer earlier in That's his true. career. Like yeah, early, early in his career, like just when yep. he arrived in Toronto, I believe. Um, I thought there, it was, there was, there was, I thought it was during his time in, Bru- uh, in Boston, but you might be right. Yeah, it was early days in Toronto, I remember, because, like, Phil Kessel coming to Toronto was a big thing, but yeah. then the storyline was, you know, Phil Kessel dealing with this health scare, and, you know, he didn't miss too much time, and he was back on the ice in, yeah. in, in, practic- in practically no time, and, and I just see a guy that loves the game. Yep. Like, like with backgrounds in Minnesota, um, you know, you can knock his dedication what you will, um, you can knock his ability to you know play with teammates play with coaches or whatever when phil kessel is on his game there's none like him and those seasons in pittsburgh um you know he, he proved it and and maybe he is a guy that i don't think is appreciated because when you think of those legends like gordy howe and alex ovechkin and Sidney crosby it doesn't matter what line you put them on. It doesn't matter who else is on their team. They're going to find yeah. a way to be the star of the show. They're going to find a way to get the big goal. It wasn't always like that with Phil Kessel. Phil Kessel was mired as the scapegoat for some of the dark eras of the early 2010s Maple Leafs. Yep. He was a part of some good runs, don't get me wrong. In 2013, he scored that big goal against the Bruins, and everyone loved it. It's like, yes, he scored against Tuka Rask. Right, Take right. that, Bruins. 
and it was it was such a big deal at the time. But uh, then I remember, I think that next season, him and James Van Riemsdyk, they were like minus thirty something, and the Leafs were terrible, and and he he, he was considered the scapegoat for all those Leafs failures in, in the early twenty tens, right there with Dion Phaneuf, and then he goes to Pittsburgh, and he. I wouldn't say he revived his career, but he proved he that he wasn't the problem and he could win a Stanley Cup. He yeah. won two back-to-back. So he, he, he wasn't like a dominant player that could maybe dictate the pace and put the team on his back. But he was a darn good player when you had the right cast of characters around him. And, yeah. and I hope that when Phil Kessel retires, we can appreciate what he brought to this game as opposed to what he failed to provide during his years in Toronto and his short time in Boston. Uh, so I just looked this up. He overcame testicular cancer after his rookie season, so he was still on Boston during that time. So okay, was, he was still on Boston. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, I while I was looking, I had forgotten, and I'm going to bring this up again. He was also incredible for uh, the Winter Olympics in 2010, and especially in 2014, where he was like, yeah. he outplayed Patrick Kane on the on that team basically, and he was. By Which far is the best tough player. To do, and yeah. Considering Patrick Kane's resume, right? and this was when Patrick Kane was in his prime too. So, yep. um, yeah, it was just um, yeah. It, it's funny too because like I feel like yeah, you described it perfectly. Like if you saw this guy on the street, you would have no idea that this guy is a hockey player, um, and and like instead, like this guy is the <laughs> the guy who's played over a thousand games and is about to do them a thousand games consecutively. It's just, like, it's insane when you think about it. Like, also to the fact that, like, he met, like, I think it was, like, a big deal in Toronto when he said that, like, he just takes the summer off and he doesn't play hockey over the summer, basically. Um, And I, I guess that, in a way, that could just be why he's, like, he is, like, he's been playing this in this streak for so long is just the fact that he doesn't like condition like in an uh in a normal way so um which is funny because yeah. you would th- you would think with all the hockey that you played you would need yeah. to be in tip top right. shape and up your conditioning right. in order to play it for as long but yeah i guess just resting the body is enough for him I suppose. right it's also like you know like as i was mentioning if anyone has has had phil kessel ever in their on their fantasy team you'll know that he doesn't block he doesn't uh hit people um which is like yeah and like even in like a in real life hockey relevance stuff it's like that's that's kind of weird too but like just like i i think there's there is something to the fact that like he doesn't block shots at all because that could also attribute to getting injured um, hitting guys can also attribute to getting injured. So it's like, like those guys, it, like you know, Keith Yandel doesn't hit; he doesn't block either, um, and that can attribute to like having a long career and one where you can play consecutively without worrying about getting injured. So there is that. There is definitely that aspect of it for sure. But it's just, it's just so funny because he's not like when you look at him, he doesn't seem like the guy who would be the the iron man and and now he is and i i feel like we won't see another player like him again um and like it's it's interesting because like i feel like he should make the hall of fame first ballot 
because of this. And he, like, he has the cups to show for it. Um, he does have a master tin. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But he should be. Um, I think. Of, I don't think he'll be a first ballot, but I think he'll get in the Hall of Fame. Someday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's like we forget about those times. Like, he was awful in Arizona, although, like, every player on Arizona was awful. So so there's there's that. But, yeah, maybe he could, like, revive his career. Speaking about re- reviving careers, but, yeah, maybe he revives his career in Vegas. That could be possible. And then, like, if he has a decent season this year, um, then he can maybe, like, maybe that's when he can be a first ballot Hall of Famer guy. But... Yeah. Anyways, um, and then lastly, I think we're only mentioning this. Be- we usually never mention minor trades, but uh, throughout, I it must have been it might have been even in the same episode where I was high. I talked up Jack Stanicka. You talked up Michael DiPietro, um, and they just recently got traded for each other. Um, yeah. So Jack, the actual trade is Jack Stanicka goes to Vancouver. Um, and the Bruins get Michael DiPietro and Jonathan Mirenberg. Um, I haven't heard, I hadn't heard of Jonathan Mirenberg before, but I'll get them out of the way first. Um, he, um, he was like a Vancouver draft pick, like a late round draft pick. Um, and, um, he's, he plays in La Liga or the Finnish league. He's more of like a shutdown defenseman, uh, but he's like a long-term project basically. Um. So we may end up seeing him, like, he's probably going to be, like, a bot. If all goes well, he'll probably be a bottom six defenseman in, like, maybe four years or five years. Um, Michael DiPietro, um, he was a a while ago um, considered, like, a top goalie prospect. Um, And, uh, yeah, he, um, but then he just, like, Whenever they called him up in uh, Vancouver, uh, he never really got a solid footing. Thatcher Demko basically took over, um, and um, yeah, and and then he just was unhappy, so he requested a trade. Um, and it, yeah, it just looks like he's you know he just he needed a change of scenery. Um, and then as for Jack Stanicka, that one's also like I I think he also requested a trade too. Um, or he definitely needed, like, even if he didn't, he, he definitely needed a change of scenery. Um, and, um, but then, like, when he ca- got called up, uh, when Bruce Cassidy was the coach, it seemed like he would always put him on the fourth line or the third line. Um, and he didn't, and even still, like, he didn't look like he was that good there. But then when you put him into... Um, and then when Montgomery is playing him, then it's like, oh, he's like, he's not even like, you know, the Montgomery doesn't seem to like him either. Um, but meanwhile, he like, he put up 35 points in 41 games last year for Providence. Um, and then the year before that, he put uh, seven points in 11 games, um, in Providence, um, which I guess isn't great, but, and then he had like 49 points in 60 games for Providence. He's like, he was really, really good for, like, he was our best player in Providence for a couple of years. So, like, the potential's there. It's just when, like, he just couldn't figure it out in the pros or, like, he just didn't get the coach's favor, basically. Um, 
I think that's interesting. So it's it's basically this trade just feels like it's like both players that just need a change of scenery. Um, and, and then you add Jonathan Mirenberg, who could just end up being something one day, but who knows. Um, the only issue with that is, is for, like, let's just take Vancouver. Uh, they have JT Miller. They have Elias Peterson. They have uh, Bo Horvat, at least for this year. Um, they already have a lot of centers. So it's like, I'm not, like, if you need a change of scenery, I get it. But, like, Vancouver also has a plethora of centers. Um, and then it's like, unless this is like a signal that they're going to trade Bo Horvat, in which case, like, I'd rather have Bo Horvat than Jackson Nicka, as much as I love Jackson Nicka. So I don't get that aspect of it. Um, and then when you go with Michael DiPietro, uh, yes, he is a great, uh, he, has, he still has potential. You never know with goalies. Um, and that's, that's cool to see, but at the same time you have Jeremy Swayman. Yes, I know that Jeremy Swayman is off to a cold start. Linus Olmark is looking like, uh, like he's, he's been the best goaltender in the league, not just for the Bruins this year. Um, and, um, yeah, even for like a goalie of the future, that's clearly going to be Jeremy Swayman. So it's just like, that's not even a great situation for DiPietro because, the best he can do is be the starter for the Providence Bruins for for a while. Um, I guess, like you, know, but like at the same time, you never know with goalies. Um, expect you know, like Swayman could end up not being as good as we thought he was, and 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 fall off. So there is potential. Same with Olmark. Um, so so there is like it is nice to have that goalie depth. Um, but it is just a strange, it's a strange trade for both sides, I feel like, because it's like, why, like, it's not like the Bruins need more goalies, and it's not like the Canucks need more centers, so I don't really understand it, but, like, I understand the aspect that both players were tired of their situation and wanted to move on, but I don't really get it from, a, like, a logistics standpoint. From a Boston Bruins standpoint, yes, they have Jeremy Swayman, and yes, they have Linus Olmark for this year and next year and a couple more years after that. And Swayman, obviously, in a contract year, um, they're going to have to sign him yeah. uh, this coming offseason. But let's uh, let's assume that they do that and they roll with Swayman and Olmark for the foreseeable future. When Linus Olmark is a free agent, you never know what can happen. Yep. with a guy in his prime who has a bit of an injury history entering his 30s. So maybe you give Mikey DiPietro an unlimited amount of time in the minor leagues, see what he can do, and maybe he turns into Jacob Marstrom where he's a late bloomer, and in his late 20s he catches fire, he gets in the NHL, and he stays in the NHL. At that point, you could have a tandem of Swayman and DiPietro. Yeah. That is one of the best in the league, potentially. You don't know that for sure, but it's at least another option. Yeah. Uh, it's good to have more options than not. And the fact that the Canucks are going with Spencer Martin, a guy who had his moments in junior, but not much else, um, instead of Mikey DiPietro, to me, really spoke volumes as to where they thought of Mike DiPietro fitting in the organization long term. And they didn't see him as an NHL option. If Spencer Martin 
is the number two behind Thatcher Demko, and essentially Mikey DiPietro is not even in the conversation at that point. That's not a knock on Spencer Martin by any means. But you just look at the pedigree of Mike DiPietro, and I'm just thinking, well, where where they'll go wrong? Like, yeah. how does this 23-year-old goaltender go from being the cream of the crop in the Ontario Hockey League amongst goalies in in his playing days to a guy riding the pine in the AHL and not really considered an NHL option? You haven't even really given him a chance in the NHL to really show, to really prove what he's made of. Like, here's, here's a look at his... NHL background, there's that stinker against the Sharks in 1819. And then he gets one game against um, uh, against um, I don't know who, but in 2019-20 was a I, it, it wasn't a stinker by any means because he didn't get credit for the win, so it was probably just a mop-up duty in a, in a rough game, but his numbers were also above 7, right. so they didn't really give him much of a chance there. 2020-21, zero NHL games played. He plays one NHL game, takes the loss, a goals against average of three, and 824 save percentage. Like, that's an awfully small sample size for Mike DiPietro. So I don't know what they really saw in, in this guy, but if you look at a goalie in, in, in Mike DiPietro, I can tell you a couple of things. You're going to get a guy that loves coming to the rink. You're going to get a guy that works his butt off. And if you give him the proper amount of time to develop and you give him the right amount of chances, I am confident that one day in the NHL, we are going to be talking about Mike DiPietro and we are going to be praising about Mike DiPietro. And the Vancouver Canucks are going to be thinking, wait, we had this guy in our system and we just traded him for, you know, a prospect with a better amount of hype that we don't even know what he's going to be back then. And the Boston Bruins are just going to be laughing in the banks like, yeah, we, we really didn't give up much to get this guy, and now he's a key fixture of our team. So give it three or four years, and I think the Boston Bruins are going to look awfully good. At the same time, I hope Vancouver also looks good because Jackson Nika, I really think um, there is an NHL future still ahead of him. Uh, this is probably a warning shot that um, you better get cracking because there might be uh, – there might be uh, – a very slim amount of chances after this opportunity yeah. here. And the fact that, uh, as you mentioned, Brett, the fact they have JT Miller and Elias Pearson and Bor Horvat already in the picture, I think it's, I think Jack Sneak is a blanket in case they do trade Bo Horvat. And yeah. when you look at the Canucks, the slow start they've had, um, how the roster is constructed, how the salary cap is going, there's not really, again, like I said when they signed JT Miller, there's not really too many moves you can do to really improve this roster. And trading a salary cap like Bo Horvat, that might be their only route at this point. You never know. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, at, at this point, if you're Vancouver, you're trying whatever you can to get some of the pieces that can help you now. But to your point, I don't even know if Jackson Nika can help them now. He could be an AHL regular. Yeah. I mean, I. Like, yeah, don't get me wrong, I do still have some hope for Jackson Nika, just, like, it's been lower than it was a couple of years ago, but, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's if it's still, like, I, I know what you're saying about EPHO, but, like, I don't know, I guess it's just, like, and it, it's just, like, tough, because you never know with goalies, really, um, it's just, I don't know, it's just, it feels so weird. On the other hand, uh, like one of the most famous trades the Canucks and the Bruins made 
was back in the day when uh, Cam Neely, uh, who was drafted by the Canucks, he goes to yep. Boston and uh, becomes, uh, well, he eventually becomes the president of hockey operations, but he also becomes a legend um, for the Boston Bruins. But um, yeah, it's it's so like maybe that that ends up happening, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, what, it should also be noted that the Canucks traded uh, for Ethan Bear a few days later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, got him in a trade and only gave up a fifth round pick. They also got Lane Pierce in that deal, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason I mention that is if it's a contract thing and you can only have a certain amount of contracts on that team and they feared they might be hitting the contract limit, they might have to say, well, we oh. have to get rid of some guys who are going to be making this deal yeah. happen. So, well, uh, Mike DiPietro, his agent, was pretty vocal about uh, yeah. Mikey's playing time. Well, uh, I guess it seems the easiest to trade, so let's just move him out of there. Yeah, yeah. So two other things I know. We've, we've talked long enough about this very minor trade, but um, one thing, uh, Don Sweeney said that he felt that Jackson Nicka was very hampered by the, the COVID stuff, and they just couldn't, like, if COVID hadn't happened, then... They probably would have developed him better, so like they were just like, oh yeah. yeah. And this yeah. this is going to be a thing that is yep. it's not just a Jacksonica thing. There yeah, are other probably. prospects that are going to be hampered by this. As yeah, well. yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then I thought this was funny. Uh, from uh, this is according to Thomas Dranch, um, and he's talking about Jonathan Murenberg, uh, the Canucks GM Patrick Alvin. Uh, said that Jonathan Muirenberg as a saw Jonathan Muirenberg as a player the Canucks were excited about, but his timeline is five years away, um, which is which is kind of funny because it's like the Canucks stink like right now, so it's like so you trade this guy like you know that's what you do if you're rebuilding is you just collect prospects who like yeah they're 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 not gonna be. Like they can't play in the NHL right now, but you know you just collect them because they could be good in five years or or whatever that timeline is. They're so just gonna be like, hey, we're gonna stash yeah. this prospect so for like, five years so yeah. that when we can't right. afford to keep Quinn Hughes around, we'll just yeah. bring his role to that guy. Right, right, and it's also like this is this uh, this Jonathan Mirenberg is like one of the only left-handed defensemen that the Canucks have in their system, so it's just like. And, like, it's just crazy to think about it because it's not like the Bruins are going to use him, like, now, anyways. Um, like, yeah, we, we we don't have Charlie McAvoy in the system or, like, you know, he's still he's still injured, uh, but Grizz is back and, and all that stuff. But, like, it's just, like, why do you even trade a guy, a left-handed defenseman, when you need a left-handed defenseman? And it also just implies it's that there's... Trust me, bro, type yeah. of trade. Yeah, it also just implies that, like, they think that they're competing now. It's like, okay, so that's fine, I guess, but, like, so you trade a guy who who ha- could barely make a roster? <laughs> like, who didn't even make a roster? Uh, it's like, it, like, like, it feels like, okay, so then why didn't you trade him for someone who's actually going to play in the NHL and not someone who might end up making the NHL eventually? Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's just strange. Um, all right. I feel like we talked enough about the trade, but I think, uh, fans of us know that what I, I was certainly high on Jackson. I talked, I talked about him on the show. Um, and you talked about Michael DiPietro a lot too. So it was just, 
it's it's come full circle, I guess. It's like this is like the lace them up trade, basically. It's like <laughs> like two guys that uh, ended up not panning out like we thought they would. Um, yeah. All right, uh, now to the main topic. Um, we w- I would love to talk about. By the way, I I called Eric Carlson uh, so far. Um, I I think I predicted that he would be better than. Brent Burns. I know it's still early, but uh, so far. We talked about a hot and cold streak uh, yeah. for players, which I'm sure will happen yeah. soon. We can put him on the list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but like he's the best defense. I, I, I guess the reason why I'm mentioning him now is because I feel like he's eventually going to subside and not be um, back to the Eric Carlson of of recent history. But I just I just wanted to brag right away that like, hey, mm-hmm. I, I, I called Eric Carlson being pretty good. I um, also want to brag that Carey Price is not retiring, and when he plays again, you'll be wearing a Habs jersey, and right. I can't wait to see that photo. Yeah, but I until like until he plays, until he actually plays a game. Yeah. Then yeah. then that's when I'll I'll I'll, yeah. I'll do that it. That does not yeah. exist until he plays a game. I know I know what he said, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. Regular season, play yeah. preseason doesn't matter. Regular season or playoffs, it yeah. has to be under. Yep. Um, so we're going to, st- uh, but anyways, we are going to talk about, like last week we were talking about two struggling teams, the Canucks and the, the Wild, but this week we're going to be talking about hot teams that are kind of surprising that they're doing so well. Um, and those are the Flyers, the Sabres, and the, um, the Blackhawks. Um, so the Flyers are, like, the thing that we were thinking is, like, I think both of us know and understand that Tortorella is a good coach. Um, and um, the thing is, is though, that I think when we ever, we talked about the Flyers in the past, it was always like, okay, they're not gonna have Couturier, they lose Ryan Ellis. He, Ryan Ellis, speaking of guys who re- secretly retired, we may never see Ryan Ellis again. Um, and it's, um, and it's just like, okay, this is going to be another... And, like, you know, the Flyers were kind of, like, just stopped being good, basically, um, after that. And then you're thinking, like, okay, as good of a coach that Tortorella is, like, is he that good where he can make Kevin Hayes into something? Can he make Travis Konechny into something? Can he make Tony D'Angelo something? And the spoiler alert, he has, at least so far. Um, Kevin Hayes has been their best player, 10 points in eight games. Um, and then you have Travis Konechny, uh, he has nine points in eight games. Uh, Tony D'Angelo has seven points in eight games. Um, if you remember, I had Joel Farabee as the player to watch, um, five points in eight games. He actually played opening day, um, but like he didn't play any preseason games. Uh, but yeah, he's had like I think he had a couple of games where he like had a goal and an assist in the same game, and um, that was pretty cool. Um, Jameson Reemsdyke has come out from the dead, five points in six games. Um, so so that's cool. I I think the the bigger turn of fate here is um, Carter Hart caught a hot. Um, he's five zero and one, two point three one. And a save percentage of 938. Um, that's incredible. That's basically what we expected of Carter Hart. Um, I guess maybe, like, speaking of the pandemic, maybe he was actually very affected by the pandemic because, like, 
when you look at it, like his uh, his best season before this one was um, his second year, where he had like a two point four two GAA and a save percentage of nine fourteen. Then the following year, which was the like the cut short by COVID, he was also injured for part of it, I believe, um, and he ended up having like an eight seventy seven save percentage and a GAA of three point six seven. Then last year he had three point a 3.16 GAA and a save percentage of 905. And then this year, yeah, he has a 938 save percentage and a GAA of 2.31. Um, so, so yeah, basically like that is a big reason why Carter Hart, or that is a big reason why the Flyers are doing so well is because of Kata Hart. Um, there's also, I just, I, lo- I love saying it like that in a Boston accent, so forgive me. Um, and then um, Felix Sandstrom, it's their backup, although yeah, his impressive his numbers aren't as impressive. I don't know why I just mentioned it, but um, anyways, yeah, I think it's like it's interesting. I guess it's like you know when you think about it, like I guess it's easy to say now, but at the same time, it's like it's it's pretty cool that the Flyers are like in it now, even when they don't have Couturier, and who knows, Couturier may come end up coming back. And, and then the Flyers are actually in it right now. Um, they are in third place right now in their division um, behind the Rangers and the Devils. The Devils are another team that we could have talked about too. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're ahead of the Hurricanes and the Islanders um, as well. Um, but, um, yeah, I guess, I guess the question is, is, like, will this continue? Um, yeah. What what are what are your thoughts? Um, Carter Hart for Vesna. Yep. If the Vesna was awarded today, um, to break down his numbers, thirty five and thirty seven stopped against Devils season opener W. Twenty eight of thirty stopped against Vancouver. Bow back from a two nothing deficit, another W. Thirty six of thirty eight stopped against Tampa in Tampa. 3-2-W, and another uh, win filled with result for the Flyers. I think they were down 2-0 in that game as well. In Nashville, 31-32 stopped, Flyers W again. 20 of, or sorry, not 28, uh, three goals. First time all year that Carter Hart gives up three goals. It's against the Florida Panthers. But he stops 48-51, and somehow Philly still wins that game. And largely because of him. And then uh, his own, ble- uh, the only blemish on his record so far, 5-0-1 record, was an overtime loss against Carolina in which he stopped 34-38. So all things considered, pretty darn good start for Carter Hart. The one thing I will say about the Philadelphia Flyers is they had a decent-ish start to last year record-wise, but things fell off the rails very, very fast after that. And you look at the underlying numbers. Philly has been outshot by a fair margin in most of the games that they played. In the opener against the Devils, they were outshot 37 to 25. Uh, 38 to 24 in game three against Tampa Bay, they were outshot. Um, they get 33 shots against Florida in uh, their fourth game, but they gave up 36. So not as big of a margin, but they were still outshot against one of the league's top offenses. 
uh, against Nashville, a struggling Nashville team at that time. They were still outshot 32 to 25. Uh, 51 to 22, as I mentioned, the game where uh, Carter Hart was basically fending off the entire Florida team and they escaped with a win somehow. 51 to 22 is the shot total favoring Florida. And then the previous, uh, the most recent game they played, they were outshot 38 to 29 by a Hurricanes team that's notorious for doing that to their opponents on a frequent basis. So a healthy chunk of those games, Philly has been outshot by 10 plus shots in like half their games and they've been able to get results in those games and the question is will Tortorella's effectiveness his method um, catch on with the team to the point where it becomes part of their identity and they continue to play that way Uh, because John Tortorella I noticed there was an article it was around the time Erasmus Ristolainen was coming back into the lineup and he says He's really eager to work, anxious and eager to work with Ristolainen because he's this big body that can make physical plays and put up points on the board as well. And he's a bit of a multi-use for, uh, type of defenseman that can like uh, get points from the blue line, but also try to shut people down. And Tortorella's philosophy is you need to get contact on the opposition right away. Like, even if you give the opposition a couple of seconds to just make a play, if you give them the patience to just look for a guy and they find the guy, the game is so fast. And as we said many times, the players are so skilled. Where you give them a second and a half to just make a decision with the puck, and it's too late. You're already on your heels, and they're on the attack, and you're putting yourself in a tough position. So you need to be on them right from... The time the puck that right from the time the puck is dropped on the ice, you got to be on them, and you got to make it tough for them to make a play. And it's it's the forecheck that made Vegas successful early in their young existence. It has made Carolina successful. They're constantly hounding the puck. They're trying to make you make mistakes, and it's obviously important for the Flyers to be a physical team because that's part of their identity. Broad Street Bullies. It's always been a part of their identity, and it's part of Tortorella's identity as a coach, being physical on the puck and blocking shots, doing the little things as a team to get results, to get opportunities. If you're not doing that on a consistent basis, you're getting outshot. Chances are you're getting outscored. If you're letting the other team do what they do, whatever the heck they want, and I feel like the Flyers did a lot of that, and and it cost them last season. The other thing that the Flyers didn't have last year that I think they have this year and at some point will have this year is work ethic. I don't think the work ethic was good enough. Their fight in game, in practice, wasn't good enough. And I think that's slowly starting to change. You saw with John Tortorella, Kevin Hayes, Travis Konechny, we talked about them as the top two scorers. He benched them in the third period yeah. of that loss. I can't remember what uh, what game that was? It was the three nothing loss against the Sharks. That's what it was. They right, shot right. three nothing, or they were outscored three nothing against San Jose, one of the worst teams in the league at that time. And Tortorella just benches Hayes and connecting in the third period. And the the players understood it. They didn't think they played well. And Torts is going right back to him in the next game. And and as a hockey club, you got to respond to. Um, 
to signs of adversity, and you got to find a way to win games. And the way that the Flyers have been winning games haven't been pretty, but they've been able to get results. The key is once we get to the 20-game and 25-game mark, if they are playing the right way and they are getting results, then I think it's sustainable. But if they're teetering below 500 or they got significant flaws in their game, um, it, it could be it could be curtains for Philly. And you mentioned James Van Riemsdyk, by the way. He's going to be missing some time now. Yeah. Uh, he's he's currently injured too. So they don't have Couturier. They don't have Ellis. And now they don't have JBR for a bet as well. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's weird because, like, I guess I think the thing is is that, like, when we think of the Flyers, it's just, like, it was never, like, really the the coaching because I think even, like, yeah, you can be critical of Tortorella and his personality. He rubs people the wrong way. Uh, but, like, we can all tell that, like, he has this style of play that works um, in the NHL. And, like, yeah, eventually they – players get tired of it but not right away he's still like a good coach so um so I guess it's not surprising that they've gone off to a hot start um but yeah as you're mentioning it's like maybe eventually like the the rust will gear down or like Rasmus Ristolainen has to take a bigger role because like that was a big mistake that the Flyers made in terms of GMs um and they um and yeah, it's, it's like, you know, they're going to fall apart. Um, yeah, it's tough. I don't know. I, I don't know if they'll, like, if if they will be able to keep this up for the entire year. Because I think, like, as I expect the Rangers to do to still be good, the Devils are already proving that they've, they're better than what they were before. Um, the Penguins should be better. The, the Capitals should be better. Um, although I guess all those teams I just mentioned have their issues as well, but um, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm just like curious to see. Like I, I think I think once like Couturier comes back, which will be like I think January or February, um, I'll be curious to see if like that like where the Flyers are at that point because um, if they get like if they're in like the middle of the pack or right where they are right now. Um, and they get Couturier back um, and he's healthy and all that stuff, it's like, okay, the Flyers might actually be a playoff team. Um, but we won't know until until that happens. So that that's what I'm really curious about, to see if like Couturier can really uh, change this team and make them an even better team. Um, but yeah, it's, it's I know that you've been critical of Kevin Hayes and his contract, but so far, he's proving you wrong at the very least. Uh, he's definitely yeah, worth seven yeah. million. I'll, I'll, I'll take the hit when I'm wrong. Yeah. He's been playing well. Yeah. He's been playing well. Yeah, of course. Um, all right, we move on to the Buffalo Sabres, uh, the next team that we're going to talk about. They are also in third place in their division, the Atlantic Division, um, to the first place. Bruins uh, is the first place in, in the Atlantic Division, by the way. Um they are. They have the best start in franchise history. Um, but anyway, this is the part where I should tell everyone that I have Bradmer showing my fantasy team, and I couldn't be happier. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to like silently. I know that we're not talking about the Bruins, and we talk about them all the time. But I, I do want to mention that like they only have, nine games, but still, yeah, yeah. have your fun. And, and yes, I know that they the only game they lost to was to the Senators, but 
Yeah, I you won't know shut up about that either. <laughs> the only team to solve the code. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess, yeah, that, that you can just, that's kind of why I've been silent. But not anymore. I'm not silent anymore. Um, anyway, it, it, I, I'm just more excited just because of the fact that, like, I, I was expecting the Bruins to not be as good without Marshawn and McAvoy and... And now Mar- Marshan is back, and uh, McAvoy is coming back pretty soon. So, anyways, um, the Sabers, uh, yeah. So they're uh, five and three um, in the Atlantic Division. They're third, um, and um, yeah, just looking at their stats, it appears that Rasmus Dahlin. Actually, this is another prediction I made that Dahlin was going to avoid, like, be a potential sleeper pick for the Norse. Um, that's looking pretty smart for me. At the moment, five goals, five assists. It's a plus seven on top of his yeah. point per game pace as well, yeah, which yeah. is what really catches my eye. More than a point per game too. It's like he's basically killing yeah, the car at this point. Yeah, ten points yeah. in eight games, five of them goals, which yeah. for a defenseman is a lot. Yeah, exactly. Especially this early too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but not as much as Eric Carlson is, uh, believe it or not. But. Um, Alex Tuck has eight points. Uh, Victor Olofsson has seven points. Casey Middlestad, six points. Uh, so does Tage Thompson. Oh, by the way, I should mention that the Sabres are playing right now. Um, I see that Tage Thompson has a goal and uh, uh, two goals and one assist here. So that's probably going to... Oh, yes, two goals and two assists uh, tonight. So, yeah, he's really taken off. Um, I should also mention that Tuck and Olofsson have six goals each, and combined yeah. out of those 12 goals, only three have come on the power play. So you're getting quality even strength scoring right there. But anyways, it's 4-2 Buffalo currently. Um, they're playing Detroit right now. Um, anyways, uh, so Tate Thompson, uh, I guess that's 10 points in eight games for Tate Thompson. Uh, Vinny Henestroza has uh, five, so does Dylan Cousin. Um this is all in uh, eight games. Um, it's hard to, I guess, I shouldn't be updating the points because that's, uh, <laughs> I don't know, that's too yeah, much work for me. But, um, but yeah, I can, like, keep on going on, too. Jeff Skinner has five points. J.J. Paterka, um, who is kind of like a, like a underrated prospect for them, um, four points. Um, even, like, Jacob Bryson, who's more known for his defensive abilities uh he has three points or three assists in eight games um so that's interesting and then lastly i'll oh two that i'll mention and then i'll move on but um there's uh owen power has two assists in eight games no points yet or no goals um and then uh peyton krebs has one assist um in six games but yeah, um, krebs and quinn have been a bit quiet but yeah. again they're young and uh, yeah. You know, it's a learning curve. They'll 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 get hot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I think for like Owen Power, it's kind of tough just because like they also have Rasmus Dahlin, who's also pretty good. Yeah. So <laughs> he's taking up most of the points. It's really tough to kind of yeah get your licks in, especially on special teams as well. Right, right, right. Um, I did see that Jack Quinn did score a goal in this game, so okay. it's just not okay, updated. Okay, cool. Starting the hot streak. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this is like the well, this is like the episode for your Ottawa 67s. 
Um, because <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Should we like work in Marco Rossi and uh, Colt? You no, know, Colt is Colt Perfetti. No, he's not. Uh, oh, I don't know, um, No, I, I wish Colt Perfetti played for Ottawa, but he didn't. But Marco Rossi, yeah, we should somehow work him in. Yeah, but yeah. I guess well, I just we said, talked about we talked about him last week. That's but, true. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Logan Couture, I think that's the most famous auto sixty-seven, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely up there in terms of modern sixty-sevens. But yeah. uh, there are there are bigger players. Bobby Smith was a sixty-seven way back. Okay. Anyways, uh, so we mentioned them, uh, you know, in a roundabout way. Uh, in terms of goalies for the Sabers, uh, this is the interesting part. Because you have Eric Comrie, um, by the way, so this is, well, by the time you're listening to this, it's not an updated stat, but uh, what I find interesting is uh, Eric Comrie seems to be the starter for the Sabres. However, you would think that, like, you know, because the Sabres are doing so well, you would think that would mean that, like, Eric Comrie has been good in goal. Um, where, in fact, he has a 3.41 GAA and a 9.09 save percentage. Um, he is 2-3 as well. Um, he did goalie the Oilers that one game, which was fun to watch. Yeah, that's true. But it's just like, you know, but then you look at these stats and you're like, wait a second, like, why, why is he the starter? Um, and then you have 42-year-old Craig Anderson, um, who's only played in three games, 3-0-0, um, uh, he's won all of them. He has a 166 GAA and a save percentage of 946. Um, like fine wine, baby. Yeah, Gets better with age. Yeah, yeah. This is also yeah an episode for your former senators as well. Um, but um, yeah, he's like he's basically the Tom Brady of hockey. Um, <laughs> I guess. Um, Minus uh, the championships, but yeah, yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of durability, I would say Jimmy Moyer. He's yeah. a Jamie Moyer of hockey. Okay, fine. Jamie Moyer was that. pitching into his early 50s almost. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that, sure. Um, yeah, I, I, of course I'm kidding about Tom Brady. Um, but um, the, uh, yeah, so so it's, it's just interesting that, like, this is one of those teams, I guess every now and then, like, the backup goalie does better than the, the starter, but... Um, but that part's kind of interesting, and I think that was, like, a big critique of the Sabres, is, like, like I, I figure that the Sabres would take a step up this season, because it's like, okay, you, like, I think Dalene's gonna be, like, he had a decent season last year, um, I think, you know, Tage Thompson, we'll see what he was gonna do, um, you know, Alex Tuck seemed like he got going towards the end, same with Peyton Krebs, um, and like who knows with Owen Power and Dylan Cousins and uh, Casey Middlestad, um, and it's like okay, all of a sudden you're like you're, you have a legitimate team going. So it's like okay, I can see like the Sabers being decent this year. Um, however, I don't know if it's going to continue, um, and that's purely just because I like last year the Sabers were also on a hot start. And yeah, then, five, one, and one, I think, was their hot yeah. last year. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, I guess it's like this This team is different than it was last year. Like, for instance, like, during that hot start, they had Jack Eichel on their roster, and this year they don't have Jack Eichel. So there, that's one difference. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't playing, but right. yeah, technically... Yeah, no, I, know. I, I am aware, but, like, 
but you have that like whole drama that I would I feel like yeah, affected no, for sure. yeah the affected subsiding all of it of course yeah but I feel like it affected the entire organization you know so yeah. no um, it did yeah because it's like all you think about every day until it happened um, so yeah we're almost a year um, we're almost at the one year anniversary of that train oh really yeah yeah I'm sure. Yeah, I think oh. November, let me check the correct date, but I think it was November 4th, 2021. When yeah, was okay. Made. Yeah, maybe. I'll check the cat-friendly archives while, while you're talking here. But. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I was about to bring it to you, but I guess I can stall a little bit longer. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, um, let's, I guess I can stall even more. So they beat Ottawa. They November lo- 4th, I was right, November oh, wow. 4th, 2021. We're days away from it. Yeah. Good call here. Uh, yeah, so they uh, they beat Ottawa, uh, they lose to Florida, then they go on a three-game winning streak, uh, they beat Edmonton, as you mentioned, uh, then they beat Calgary, they beat Vancouver, so that, that was all on that Western Coast, Western Canada trip they go on. They lose to Seattle and Montreal, so that's kind of confusing, um, and then they beat Chicago, who we're about to talk about in the overtime. Um, and, and they rallied from behind to win that game against Chicago as well. Yeah, and now it's 4-3 Buffalo against Detroit. By the time I started talking, what's crazy is when we were when I started talking about Buffalo, it was 4-2. So Dylan Larkin, I guess, heard us, and he said, like, you know what? Not anymore. I'm By the time start. we're done talking, Detroit's yeah. probably going to be leading for some odd reason. <laughs> yeah, that will, that will probably happen, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, anyways, do you think the Sabres are going to, um, have this continue, or is, are you not a believer? So, for anyone who's watched TSN's Bar Down videos, they, uh, do tier lists of where they think teams are going to finish, they predict who's going to make the playoffs, and they had Sabres in a category called Fun But Not a Winner, and I think that's a perfect description for the Sabres. They're not going to be winners this year in the grand scheme of things, but they're showing a lot of promise. Rasmus Dallin being a key part of that. Alex Tuck, six goals in eight games, as you mentioned. Great start for him. Uh, Victor Olofsson, six goals in eight games. Not relying on a power play to do that either. And he's only averaged 15-13 per game as well. And combined, those three names have a plus 14. Seven, plus seven for Dallin, plus three for Alex Tuck, plus four for Victor Olofsson. Cage Thompson, proven that last year wasn't a fluke to this point. Casey Milstad is a plus two, has six points in a game spread, as you mentioned, is looking good. Dylan Cousins with three goals and five points, he's looking good. Uh, Jess Skinner, fortunately, is uh, continuing to put up points on the board, which is good because they're paying him to. Uh, and even even the young guys and the deaf guys, the deaf guys like Inestroza, Oso is their new team captain. He's not really lighting it up on the scoreboard, but he's leading by example. Uh, you got the young guys coming along, like Owen Power, like J.J. Paterka, as you mentioned. Uh, Rasmus Asplin getting some uh, sulky votes last year. He's a plus six in six games, and he has three assists in those six recorded games. As this team grows and matures in a couple of years, they're going to be on the cusp of at least competing for a wild card spot. But for right now, the growing pains, you look at the Metro division, you look at the strength of the Atlantic division, Ottawa is 4-4-0 at this point in time, and they're last. They're last in the division. They're two points behind the Leafs who are currently struggling, but they're the freaking Maple Leafs. You don't think those teams are going to, 
you think those teams are going to be finishing lower than Buffalo in the standings? Absolutely not. So the Sabres will come down to earth at some point, but they are proving that they're a fun team to watch. They're no longer the league's doormat, and in a couple of years, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with once again. But they're just too young and too inexperienced for me to say that this will continue. Yeah, I don't know. I... I, I guess mean, they got 40-plus shots against Montreal and Chicago, but look at their defense. Like, yeah. Montreal Chicago, a lot of teams will be getting 40-plus shots on those. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, so I'm looking at the uh, Atlantic East division here. Oh, the Atlantic division. Um, yeah, I guess, like, the Lightning are struggling, the Leafs are struggling. The, I mean, we kind of expected the Canadians to struggle, um, although they're... They're still there. Uh, Senators, as we, we just talked about, um, and the Red Wings, I guess, are like the wild cards as well. Um, and then ahead of them are the Bruins and the Panthers. Uh, so it's like, yeah, I guess it is like wide open because it's like I don't expect the Bruins to be this good as well. It would be like impossible because I, I guess they would have to be like 81 and 1 uh, to, to end the year. <laughs> So, so, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but... Um, the fact that they have the six fewest goals against is something to be proud of, yeah. though. Because, yeah. like, again, considering where this team was a couple of years ago, right. like Philly, they would be near the bottom of the league in goals yeah, against. I guess they're holding their own so far. Yeah, I guess I'm, like, I am impressed that they're able to win games even despite their goaltending. But because of that, like, because their goaltending is so shaky, I'm not sure it's going to continue. Um, but I don't know. I, 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 I feel like they, they could definitely sneak in there and, and surprise a couple of, of, of teams here. Um, the one thing that they have going as well is Don Granado. Like, I think he has a sustainable plan that's going to get them results. Yeah. And that's not something... That we've—I re- I don't think we've been this optimistic in a Sabres coach in a while. Like, yep. obviously, the track record of Dan Bylsma, and you know, maybe you thought that Ralph Kruger would be the right guy to turn things around. That obviously didn't happen. I—I I, I think this team could be onto something with Don Granado. It's just that gut feeling when I see that team yep. play, the way the players respond, the way the players um, are just able to react to his message. It's always positive. Yeah. And and I think they could really go a long way in due time with Don Granado as coach. They just need time and patience, and, and he needs the time to really get acquainted with this group and, and get a rhythm going. I don't think the Sabres really have had a chance to get a rhythm going because, they're, you know, a couple of years, you know, the GM would get fired or the coach right, would get right. fired. Someone yeah, would get fired, point. and then you're back to square one. Yeah, but in the same sense, it's like they were – like the Sabres were actually pr- – like pretty good la- like the second half of the year um last year yeah they were um they and were. uh yeah Don- and Don Granado like af- once he was hired uh two years ago like the Sabres were were sneaky pretty good too um so it's like you know this is like another year where they they're just one more year older um and um yeah, I mean, I, I could see them maybe sneaking in as, like, a wild card spot. I, I feel like that's not too crazy to say. Um, but, yeah, maybe their, like, goaltending is um, the only thing of concern. So maybe they go out and get a goalie. Um, 
and, and we'll see and go from there, but who knows. Um, I think they have a better shot than Chicago. I will say that. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But, like, what about, like, New Jersey? I know that we probably should have talked about New Jersey in this episode, but, like... Well, we'll talk about New Jersey because they're going to be an interesting team. If they struggle, people are going to be calling for Lindy Rustad. Yeah. If they continue to win, but, they're going to look at how much of a genius it is and fair. how much the team has it, it matured and evolved. If you're asking me who has the better chance of making the playoffs of the yes. Buffalo New Jersey, that is what I'm asking. Oh, okay, really? Jersey because you look at the amount of shots they give up, it pales in comparison to the Sabres. That if you're giving up at least below 30 shots a game, that's less chances for your opponents to put the puck in the net. I guess the, if you're giving the opponents too many chances, it doesn't matter what your offense does. I guess the thing with like New Jersey is is that their goaltending is equally. As bad. Um, I mean, been. I would say Buffalo's goaltending is better than New Jersey's right now. Yeah, that's... The good news is, New Jersey isn't giving the other team as many chances to score as Buffalo is. True. And I, I th- but like, I think, like, New Jersey is in a tougher division, too. So, I think that's yeah, the other you're, part, you're too. Yeah, you're not wrong. They are. So, so yeah, like... Yeah, they're yeah. somehow first. Right, right, yeah. No, it's true. But, I don't know. I, I yeah... I somehow still believe that the Sabres are going to figure it out. I know that's a weird thing. They will, thing, someday. Yeah. They will. It just won't be this year, I don't think. But again, yeah, maybe I not. love a feel-good story. I like to be proven wrong. Yep. Um, and then lastly, we're going to talk about Chicago, believe it or not. I think this is crazy because we, like, you know, we pretty much writ them, wrote them off. Steve had this crazy prediction that he thought that Chicago was going to be worse than Arizona. Um, yep. This year, I stand by that. Um, but uh, somehow they're still they're in, like if the playoffs were to start today, they would be in the playoffs uh, four, three, and two. Um, and uh, Patrick Kane is really good, uh, nine points in nine games. Max Domi has seven points in nine games. Jonathan Taze has come back to life, seven points in nine games. Sam Lafferty. Now I'm just gonna be talking about like made-up names, basically. Uh, Sam Lafferty has seven points in nine games. Jason Dixonson has six points in seven games. Tyler Johnson, although I think he's injured now, six points in six games. Uh, then you have Philip Kurashev, six points. Uh, Rad- Taylor Radish has six points. Um, I called him player to watch. You did? Season yeah, one. he's been good. Um, and then you have Andreas Athanasiu, who had like an incredible goal on Sunday. Um, yeah, he did. And, um, yeah, he has five points in nine games. Uh, Caleb Jones, now you get into, like, okay, this isn't as impressive, but whatever. I'm still going to say Caleb Jones has four points in seven games, and then you have Seth Jones with four points in eight games. I'm going to stop listing people now. Um, Mostly just because uh, Seth Jones um, is injured. Um, He's out for three to four weeks with a right thumb injury. Um, and uh, Caleb Jones is his brother is going to take over basically, so that's just an interesting uh, tidbit there. Um, but um, yeah, I you know it's and then in terms of like a goaltending situation, um, Alex Stalock, um, he's been their starter uh, three that two right there. three that two right and one. There, the most shocking part is that <laughs> they're doing this with him as their starter. Yeah, the Stalock is bad, but it's yeah. like, man, you're paying Morazic a lot more money to be your starter. Yeah, I mean, to be or fair, you're inheriting his contract. I shouldn't say that yeah, they yeah. didn't sign that contract; they inherited it. 
To be fair, Staylock Staylock actually has a decent has had a decent career. Um, it's just mm-hmm. like you know he's he's been a career backup, um, but like he's never like I guess other than last year I guess he w- he was on the Sharks for one game and didn't do so hot, but like you know he was always a decent backup for Minnesota. Um, well, there was a so, time I don't know if you remember in the twenty twenty bubble late in the twenty twenty yeah. season when Minnesota was making those moves. They leaned to him as the starter yeah. at one point over Dubnik because yeah, Dubnik was struggling, and they they felt that Stalock was playing well enough to get the win, so they made him the starter. Yep, uh, he's uh, three two and one with a two point nine five GAA and a save percentage of nine fourteen. So that GAA is still pretty high, but the save percentage is, you know, it's average. It's not bad. Um, then um, yeah, Mrazek, he he is injured. Um, but when he has been playing, it hasn't been good. Uh, he's one and one um, with a 3.76 GAA and a save percentage of 873. And then he also added in this guy named Arvid Soderblom. I swear I'm not making this name up. Uh, zero, zero, and one. Uh, 3.97 GAA and a save percentage of 911. Um, yeah, it's like that goaltending's not great. Um, and yeah, I don't know if like, uh, you know, Chicago's they're, they're in the central, um, and it's like, that's the toughest division in the league. Um, I guess like the reason why I wanted to note them is, is that they're somehow like winning games or they're still doing well. Um, or like they somehow have a winning record. Um, and yeah, I know that like they have a goal differential of zero, um, and they've lost three straight um, now, so it's like they're they're dwindling down. Um, I expect that uh, Colorado is going to catch up, Minnesota is going to catch up, Nashville is going to catch up, and St. Louis will probably catch up too. But it's like, like it's just impressive because I like I think like at the start of the year we we thought that, like, Chicago was going to, like, just start out off the gates as being the worst team in the league. And that was because they they traded away Dabrinka. They they traded away Kirby Doc. They let Dominique Kubalik, who, by the way, is having a fantastic season so far. They let go of Dylan Strome, who's also having a fantastic season as well. So it's just like, like... And then Alex Dabrinkit as well is also yeah. having a pretty good year. Who yeah, thought true. this would happen, man? Right, right, right. So it's like, and, and like you know, and like to be fair, like they had a bad see, like they've had a, they've been bad for quite a while now, even with oh, those yeah. guys that we just mentioned. So it's like, it's not like bad shocking that they're gone from the team. It's just like, oh, okay, so they don't even have those guys anymore, and now they're like. It's just it's just weird that it's like oh they somehow still are, have a winning record. I know it's like towards like it's just one month in and a lot can change. But and I I, I would ex- I of the three teams we just talked about, that would be the most surprising to end up making the playoffs. But I don't know. I guess I just wanted to shout them out because it's like oh like they're they might be like slightly better than what we thought they would be. Um, and yeah, eventually Patrick Kane's going to go somewhere off. Maybe Jonathan Taze has played well enough that he's going to go somewhere as well. 
Um, so, so yeah, I don't think like the team we see now is, is going to be different than the team we see at the end of the year. Uh, they're still going to be sellers. Um, but like, you know, I, I think there is something to the fact of like, if you're Max Domi, if you're Andreas Athanasiu, uh, you're like thinking like, oh, okay, I'm a free agent. If I don't do well here, I'm never going to play an NHL game again. Um, and this is like their last shot. So there is something to that where it's like, like, oh, I'm like, I'm, I, I want to play well enough where even though I'm on a crappy team, I want to do well enough where I can like get traded somewhere else and have a better chance of uh, being a part of like a supporting cast of a cup winning team kind of thing. So there is something to that and um, maybe that philosophy. So maybe that explains that. But yeah, anyways, it's, uh, it's I just wanted to shout them out because it's like, when you look at the standings, you're like, wait a second, the Chicago Blackhawks are in the playoffs right now if they if the season were to end right now. So it's just it's just a little crazy. But yes, I I agree with you that I I don't think it's going to continue. Um, however, I can I can say I I feel like uh, the Coyotes are still going to be worse than the Blackhawks are by the end of the year. You seem so confident about that. In terms of the longevity, yeah, it's 100% not yeah, going to last. That I agree with. And the reason we're highlighting them is because we probably know that, and in a couple of weeks, they're going to be back to losing again. So, yeah. Chicago fans, enjoy this winning streak while it lasts. However, 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 this is good for a multitude of reasons because you have guys like Max Domi and Sam Lafferty and Jason Dickinson, and even Tyler Johnson, who prior to this year, and maybe I guess you could throw in Andreas Athanasiu, where they're like depth guys that weren't really must-have options uh, in recent months or years um, that are starting to get their careers back on track. And in terms of playoff depth, these are guys that could be useful on your hockey club. And if you're Chicago, who has really not uh, gotten full value for the guys they didn't keep, uh, you could get some futures out of a Max Domi. Like, seven points in nine games, the four goals, three of them on the power play, only taking 13 shots, which means the shooting percentage is 30.8%. Um, for a guy that had a 70-plus point season what seemed like ages ago, that's that's good for his trade value. And it's good for Max Domi as a player because it feels like he's getting his game back. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Sam Lafferty, seven points in nine games, seems like a career year. He's averaging less than 15 minutes a game. His shooting percentage is 17.7%. Again, you could get some good futures for him. Uh, Taylor Radish, you want to keep this guy as part of your youth movement, six points in nine games. Three of those being goals, and his shooting percentage is 25%, and he's averaged, like Sam Lafferty, under 15 minutes a game. Jason Dickinson has averaged 15.35. He's taken 10 shots. He has scored on three of them, which means his shooting percentage is, oh, look at that, 30% on the dot. So you have a guy like Jason Dickinson putting up respectable numbers, six points in seven games. 
you love to see that. You could maybe keep him around uh, for another season and then move him for futures. Or maybe he's a part of your bottom six. Maybe he's a fringe second line forward. Who really knows? Uh, Philip Kurashev with six points in nine games. Uh, you've been waiting for the young guys in the system to, to develop a little bit better. Uh, Kurashev, it looks like he's doing that. Tyler Johnson's a pretty effective uh, veteran that any playoff team would like to have. Six points in six games for a guy who's had some dry spells, had, had to deal with some injuries. He's shooting percentages are respectable 16.7%, and he's not even averaging 14 minutes on the dot. He's averaging 13.58. So it'll be good to have him on a playoff team. So on top of all of that, you have guys having career years, having bounce back years, which is good for your future product in terms of guys you want to trade for futures or guys you want to keep as part of the youth movement. But the other thing it shows is if you're Connor Bedard and this is going to be your future home, going into this season, you're probably just not enthused at all given everything that's going on with Chicago on and off the ice. You're not, you're not amped up to be going to that place if that is in fact your future home. But if they play like this, and you have a guy like Luke Richardson coaching the team, making it fun to come to the rink every day, getting positive results, being a competitive team in a division that really doesn't think too much of you these days, if you can prove a lot of doubters wrong, all of a sudden uh, it could jeopardize your chance of winning the lottery, but it gives players a more positive impression yeah. on the future of this team because again Kane and Taze are the last remaining uh, parts of that now tainted dynasty uh, that's overshadowed by the Kyle Beach uh, incident um, which is going to be a black eye in that organization for years and people shouldn't forget that it's been one year since we found out about that and nor should we forget it but that, that, that kind of situation can really damage the image of any NHL franchise. Yeah. And it's going to be tough for that organization to shake. But starts like this, where you have a bunch of guys that were perceived as nothing players or throw-ins and trades and prospects that were expected to be something but they haven't become that yet, and all of a sudden together they're forming a team that's doing better than people thought. I think that's good for the future direction of this team. And the Blackhawks need some form of positive direction to lure people to play for their team. And their and management has said it's gonna be three, four, five years of this. It's gonna be a while before they're good again. But if they do the little things right, they're gonna be a better hockey club sooner than people think. So that's good to see. But yeah, um, yeah. Give them about a month, and they'll be an NHL door again. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm just optimistic. But yeah, I guess of the three teams we just talked about, I guess the the Blackhawks are the most likely to like go back down to earth. Um, oh yeah, they will. But um, but yeah, no, that is, that is a good point, and I I feel like you know it's it's like yeah, we make fun of them for trading away Debrin Cat and Kirby Doc and. Uh, giving up, like, not even trading Kubalik or not even trading Dylan Strom, just flat-out dropping them. Um, like, you know, we, we give them a lot of gruff, and we should. But I think they did that as a part because they wanted to reset. They wanted people to forget about the fact that, like, they, they um, 
that organization let um, sexual assault of Kyle Beach go unnoticed and unchanged. Um, they want people, to, they want Patrick Kane to be gone and want to leave, and they want Jonathan Tays to leave because they don't want that stench. Um, and, um, and yeah, so I, I think that's like, that's pretty much why they're doing it right now. They have a new regime. Um, and yeah, it is like, you know, it's just, they're starting anew and they're, they're just making like, you know, they're just starting from ground zero again, basically. And, um, which is interesting because like before they even won that, that first cup in 2010, this was the that this was the franchise that you would make fun of anyways too. Like they they were never relevant, um, and then and then they get Patrick Kane, and then they get Jonathan Tate, and then they are yeah. Uh, before that, there were yeah. some lean years uh, yeah. where basically their most notable player was right. Nikolai Happy Bullen, and they right. continued to lose even with Happy Bullen yeah, yeah, yeah. for a bit. And also they were like Eric Daze. Uh, that's like a name that I a young remember. Duncan from. Keith as well, just yeah. thrown into the fire as well. Right, right, right. Yeah, and it's also like the um, Tyler Arneson, Kyle Cole. Was it there a thing like that you couldn't even watch Blackhawks games even if you were in Chicago? Like their te- like Rocky Wirtz's father was so cheap that uh, they wouldn't even show games on TV because he wanted people to go to the home games, which is even worse than what Melnick did, which is just crazy, yeah. Um, so it's just like... Yeah, Kyle Calder in 0506, by the way, 59 points. That was their leading scorer behind him, Mark Bell, with 48 points. Jeez, that's crazy. So yeah, it's, it's just, um, you know, I guess like it's just weird because they're like, yeah, they were never really relevant. I mean, yes, they were original 16, but like... I don't know, I guess it's just they're going back to ground zero, but yeah, I think you're right that like even though this will probably subside in a, a couple of days, but it's it's just nice to see like, oh okay, like I guess it's not, it's not all dreary, it's not all bad, but we'll see. Um Alright, so so yeah, I guess we can take the Blackhawks off the table, but I was gonna ask you, of like Who's more likely, in your eyes, going to make the playoffs? The Sabres or the Flyers? Uh, or neither, I guess. You can say neither, too. I think the Flyers will be in the hunt, but I still have doubts that they're going to have what it takes to make the playoffs. They'll be in the conversation, I think. Tortorella has has made me reconsider my doubts about what this team can and can't do. Uh, but I don't think what they can do is still going to be good enough. Like, the Couturier and Ellis injury still hurts. Um, you're not really sure what you're going to get in terms of consistent scoring. And if you're still relying on Carter Hart to play as well as he has, uh, I don't think it's sustainable either. I think they're going to be a lot better than what I thought they were. I thought they were going to be near the bottom of the barrel again despite towards his best efforts but I, I think he's got a hold of this team and and they're going to be able to at least play 500 hockey maybe even 40 wins is in the cards but even 40 wins I don't think will be enough to get them in Buffalo again is a fun but not a winner type of team they'll probably get 35 wins they'll probably cause some fits for a lot of their opponents mm-hmm. but I don't think they have the firepower and the experience yet to win more of those games than they lose so yeah, I, I don't really know if either team is a playoff okay. team. That's fair. Um, yeah, I think they'll both be in the hunt uh, for, like, the wild card spot. 
uh, yeah, I think it will eventually subside. Um, but it is impressive that Carter Hart has been like is back to what we expected him to be. Um, so I, I could, you know what? Actually, I'm gonna say the Flyers will make it in. Um, Cause screw it. Let's let's just say it. They're they're gonna they're gonna make the playoffs. I I do have some con- even though like I know what I said, but I I do have some concerns with the Sabers and their goaltending. But we'll see. Um, so uh, speaking of which, um, so when I last updated you, it was four three Sabers against Detroit. Do you wanna? The game has now ended. Do you wanna guess the score to the end of the game? Uh, 6-4 Red Wings. No, no. It actually was the other way around. 8-3 uh, Sabres. Okay, okay. So the Sabres, the Sabres yeah. won. They figured it okay. out. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Not, not to mention... Well, they really figured it out. 8 <laughs> goals, wow. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I, I knew there you were gonna. At least two empty in that yeah, the, the way I set it up, I knew you were gonna say like, "Oh, did the, like the Sabers blow it?" But like, yeah, it's like no. It was, That's usually how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and in fact, Tate Thompson has three goal, had three goals and three assists. So that's. He's double his point total in one game. Basically, yeah. Oh my! And look at the shot total: forty-six to eighteen Sabers. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, crazy. Um, I, I think this says more about Detroit than it says about the Sabres, but, um, and then also, because, yeah, we, we knew that Detroit's defense stinks, so that, that probably has more to do with it, uh, but, um, and then I saw this statistic here, with his assist on Darlene's goal, Tage Thompson has become the second player in Sabres history, and the first since Pat Lafontaine in 1992-93 to record a point on eight consecutive goals scored by the Sabres. Um, so that's really impressive. Um, yeah, when you're in the same breath as Pat Lonfontaine, you know you did something right. But, yeah, anyways. I'm just taking a look at his... Okay, there it is. It just buried underneath there. Yeah, I just wiped my eyes there. Yeah, yeah, three goals, three assists. Nine shots as well. Yeah, crazy. In 17 minutes and six seconds. 5.09 of that was power play time as well. Okay. So, so that would put him... Um, oh, I thought this would like make him like the same have the same amount of points as McDavid, but I guess that's like twelve points. So yeah, that would put him tied again, for seventh. Again, uh, not I know it's only one game, and I know it's against Detroit's defense, but I told you Tage Thompson's season wasn't a fluke. I, I actually I did think it was a fluke, but yeah, I guess I'm gonna have to take that back. Long term, I don't think his success is a fluke. Yeah, that's fair. Um. For at least one night, we can say that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's fair. I I can I'll take it back though. Already, I guess it's it's possible. Um, yeah, so that would put him twelfth. So yeah, that that means that he's tied with Zuccarello, Zibanejad, Kucherov, McKinnon, and Nachushkin. All those guys have twelve points. Not bad. Not, Not bad. bad. Uh, by the way, o three o four Blackhawks bread. Uh, six goalies uh, played for that team. We're talking about bad Blackhawks teams. Okay. Uh, I want to run by this uh, line of stats your way to showcase just how grim things were back then. Oh, I, I thought I thought you were gonna ask me what goaltenders <laughs> they were. I was just like, there's no way I'm gonna figure that out. But all right, yeah, go on. So, uh, guys still playing. First of all, Craig Anderson. 
Went 6-14-0 with a 9.05 save percentage and a 2.84 goals against. Pretty good. Pretty okay. good. Michael Layton, 6-18-8. Keep in mind, overtime shootout losses didn't exist. There were ties. So 6-18 plus 8 ties. 900 save percentage, 2.99 goals against average, and somehow actually got two shutouts in that span. Uh, Jocelyn Tebow, he was the face of Blackhawks goaltending for a couple seasons, uh, but only played 14. I'm pretty sure that was due to injury. 5-7-2 record, 9-13 save percentage, and a 2.85 goals against average. But again, notice that these two goal that these three goalies have combined for 17 wins. Wow. 17 wins among three goalies. So now we get to the other three. How Steve Passmore? 2-6-0, 2.89 goals against, 8-9-6 save percentage. Adam Monroe, who? Played for the Hawks, but don't know much else about the guy. One win, five losses, and a tie. A 8-80 save percentage and a 3.66 goals against average in those seven games he played. And Matt Underhill, again, who? The guy who played for the Hawks for one game, stopped 29-33, but took the loss, 3.95 goals against, 879 save percentage. So between those six goalies, let's see, 6, 12, 17, 18, 19, 20 total wins. Wow. That's crazy. Between six goalies. Yeah. So, um... I guess if you win at least, what, 25 games Chicago, you're not as bad as the misfortune of that goalie tandem. No, no, that's a good point. Yeah, um, that was a pretty grim year for them. For sure. Um, I, I see here Dry, Jamie Drysdale is out four to six months with a torn labrum. Also, yeah, there's like speculation he could be up for the year as well. That sucks. Yeah. Um, and um, also Jake Ottinger is um out at least for a week uh but what's what's funny about that well nothing's funny about an injury but uh what's interesting about this situation is that they you naturally they have anton gudobin in the minors uh but they can't recall him because um because then they would be over the cap um so they signed this guy named matthew murray but it's not the Matthew Murray you think he is. It's the Matthew Murray from UMass. But he just so happens to be a goalie, and he just so happens to be in the NHL now. So um, it's just um, it's a funny thing where we have, like, it's now now we need, like, Matthew Murray on the same team as the other Matthew Murray, and we need Sebastian Ajo on the same team as Sebastian Ajo, and then Jack Hughes on the same team as Jack Hughes. Uh, we just need all the the players with the same name all on the same team. So, also, I wanted to mention this. It's in progress. Oh, so we'll know the score by the end. Kings with a four goal second period lead. The mighty St. Louis Blues yeah. five to one. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know if it's been highlighted because they give up as many goals as they score, but the Kings top ten offense in the league. There's a reason why a lot of people were high on their on their talent, and uh, they open up a 5 nothing lead before the Blues uh, get on the yeah. scoreboard there, and uh, they're up 5-1 heading into the final 20 minutes of, uh, yeah. of that game. Uh, Gabe Velarde, we'll probably talk about him in a future episode, eighth goal of the season. Yeah, 
I, I was going to mention that, but I figured since we didn't even talk about those yeah, two Yeah, there days, will be a future I, episode to mention him. I'm sure, also, I'm sure TJ Oshie, I noticed, is out indefinitely for the Capitals, who are currently without Tom Wilson and Nicholas Backstrom, so that yeah. sucks for them. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll... I, I, I was going to mention that score, but I figured since we didn't talk about those two teams here, I didn't want to mention that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so uh, we'll do... Um, yeah, that's about it for us here on Lace Em Up. You can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Um, and you can follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, wherever else you get your podcasts. That's, a, uh, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 341 of the Lace Em Up Podcast.